Rodney wearing the, the Cowboys colors on her victory Monday. All right, Jordan. Yes, it's Jeff How Jordan Scruggs. It's only an hour. Uh, Jordan, I want to get to the portal, but I want to start off giving Tavondre Sweat his flowers. I feel like we can't do that enough. You're oh, yes. probably, whether it's on this chat, you're watching on, on any of our live streaming platforms, you're catching up on the podcast, whatever it is, you're probably the youngest Texas fan, definitely the younger demographic of Texas fans that are involved in this presentation. Have you, in your time as a Texas fan, seen a season by a Texas defensive player as, however you want to couch it, man, as good, as special, as meaningful, whatever, like Devondre Sweat had this year? How, how do you, as a younger Texas fan, encapsulate, or younger Texas football follower, encapsulate, sum up the season Devondre Sweat's had? I think it's probably the best I've seen. I'd say so. Um, it's funny. Me and uh, Horns 24-7's former recruiting analyst, Hudson Sandish, now national scouting analyst. Um, about once a week, I mean, we talk all the time, but about once a week we'll be like, man, can you believe how good Devondre Sweat is? Because, <laughs> like, he's doing something every week, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'd say he's the best. Earl, Earl Thomas, yeah, he was that guy, but – and I do have some memories of it, but very, very few. Um, so I think the only thing that could maybe even – obviously, I said sweat is the best season I think I've seen, but the only one that off the top comes to mind would be uh, maybe Deshaun Elliott's last year at Texas. Yeah. Maybe. You, yeah. Yeah, in terms of just single season, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but you know what's interesting about that Deshaun Elliott year, though? He was he was a – I believe he was a unanimous All-American – it wasn't even the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Malik Jefferson was co-Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year that year. Um, you know, Jackson Jeffcoat had one of those years where he was really productive in, in 2013. Oh, yeah. um, Alex Okafor had, you know, maybe the best single game uh, that anybody's had in kind of this post-Colt McCoy era that, you know, the three and a half sacks, four and a half sacks against Oregon State in that Alamo Bowl. So probably I say all that as the setup, man. It's you know Earl Thomas in 09. You know Eric Berry's still walking around with Earl Thomas's Thorpe Award. I truly believe that. I try not to get all caught up in the national awards, but Eric Berry has Earl Thomas's Thorpe Award. Brian Arakpo in 08 had the best season, but uh, Tavondre Sweat this season in, in 2023. It's the best. It's the best season, the most impactful, the most meaningful. I think it's all of those things since Earl Thomas in 09. You know Brian Arakpo in 08. I mean, if you if you look at comparing him to other defensive tackles, like he doesn't have, you know, he's got the Outland Trophy, which none of those other guys have. Nobody's mm -hmm. won it since Brad Scherer in 1977. He's got, you know, he, he's on a much better team than Malcolm Brown was. Uh, you know, the only guy I would put above him, just in terms of sheer numbers and production, just because of how. And Jake brings up a good point. Joseph Osai in 2020 is just. 2020 was just one of those such one of those weird years where you know it was the COVID year and there's like 10 people in the stands at games. It was just a weird year. But yeah, Joseph Osai was really good in 2020. But the only defensive tackle in my lifetime watching Texas football that's been more impactful than Tavondre Sweat was this year is, is Casey Hampton. Like you look at some of Casey's numbers. Casey Hampton, his last two years at Texas. I think he had something like 54 tackles for loss. He had he had over a hundred tackles one year as a as a nose tackle. Like just Casey Hampton had some insane numbers. 
But it's pretty cool, Jordan, for the younger demographic of Texas fans, for this to be, you know, the old heads will talk about, you know, Kenneth Sims and Steve McMichael, and even go back like Scott Appleton, you know, back in the 60s. And, you know, for my generation, it's, you know, Casey Hampton hung the moon. And Casey Hampton, other than guys that have a number up on the wall, Casey Hampton's my all-time favorite Longhorn. I make no bones about that. But for the younger generation, for now a generation of Texas fans, th- it's cool that this is going to kind of be the – Tavondre Sweat's 2023, that's going to be the benchmark by which all defensive tackles at Texas are measured probably for the next 15, 20 years until the next one comes along because that's about how often one of these seasons happens. Yeah. No, um, it's funny. That, that Osai game versus Oklahoma State, I remember actually watching that on uh, a stream East broadcast on my phone at uh, the job I was working out, working at, at the time. It was, uh, <laughs> I was a barista at a coffee shop, actually. <laughs> I was working a Saturday night. Um, I believe if I remember correctly, Oak State was like number five in the country at the time, right? Oh, no. <laughs> We're froze. Or I'm froze. Yo, yo, yo. Uh-oh. Well. We good? There we go. Okay, we're back. Sorry about that, everybody. Yeah, yeah, no. You 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 froze. I don't know if that was me or you. No, you, you, fro- you froze first, and then I, I fell out, so I don't think that was... Uh... I don't think that was anything you or I did. But anyway, we're back. So anyway, you're a barista at a coffee shop watching the Joseph Osai 2020 Oklahoma State game. Yeah, I just remembered that. Um, yeah, no, Sweat. Sweat's got to be – he's got to be the best, man. The Casey Hampton stuff is always nuts here in those stats because, like, um, Landon Rank, whose dad actually played at Texas, put up pretty similar kind of nut- – he's obviously in high school, so it's way different, but – uh yeah, last year he had 76 tackles, 18 tackles for loss, five sacks as a nose tackle. This year he had 70 tackles, 30 tackles for loss, 15 sacks, five PBUs, one forced fumble. Um, and I do have a crystal ball. Shane Rink, Shane Rink was uh, is Landon Rink's father. For those, I'm I'm pretty sure everybody could put two and two together. But yeah, Shane Rink was a really good player back in his day. Yeah, um, but got a crystal ball entered in favor of Texas for. For rank, I put that in a few months ago. Um, I think he's gonna, you know, weigh out all his options, make sure he's making the right choice. But ultimately, I don't think there's any way he doesn't end up at Texas. Um, and I also, like the story, kind of writes itself. Like I feel like this one is a lot like Bostic's recruitment, um, except that Texas is doing a much better job um, at this stage in the recruitment going into the spring of his his junior year than they were with with Bostic. Um, at the same time, Bostic was really just starting to blow up then. But the first few months of Texas offering him, they, they definitely messed it up. And that's why he yeah. was leaning elsewhere until they kind of locked in on him. Um, no, but Rank's a monster. And uh, I really like where he ends up at Texas. And I said the story writes itself because uh, Landon's dad, his roommate at Texas, was actually Bostic's father, Brian Bostic. Um, mm-hmm. So. Kind of writes itself there. Feel really strongly about him ending up at Texas. I bet he's going to OV to like AM, OU, Notre Dame, and Texas. But again, I think it'll be Texas at the end of the day. Um, 
You want to get into the portal? Uh, one thing before we do, because we'll ba- pretty much this whole show, other than this, will open right here. Will be portal. Mm-hmm. Um, all American teams are coming out. Tavondre Sweat, first team. Walter Camp, all American. Uh, the Football Writers Association of America. He was first team today. So one more, one more first team all American by any of the five all American teams recognized by the NCAA. So that's the Walter Camp, the Football Writers, the AFCA, Sporting News, and the AP. Uh, three of them, you're a consensus. Five of them, you're a unanimous. Unanimous All-American puts him in that that rarefied air. So that's just to keep track of kind of where Tavondre Sweat is. I th- what Two things <clears throat> before we move on, Jordan, and actually the second one is kind of portal related. Mm-hmm. The first is Tavondre Sweat, yes, he was recruited by the Tom Herman staff. You got to give that staff credit. But he spent the bulk of his career with the Steve Sarkeesian staff. And I think for for him, for Byron Murphy, for a lot of guys on that defense, Jalen Ford, there are a lot of guys on that defense, one of the best defenses in the country, that this staff can point to and say, you know what, that thing you guys always heard about Texas doesn't develop players, that's not the case anymore. We're, we're developing guys. Guys are coming here as, as one thing, and they're leaving as something totally different. They're completely different when they walk out the door. I think, man, the Sark regime does a lot of good things, but I think maybe the one thing that they that they show that they're on track to doing that hadn't been done at Texas in a really long time, and this wasn't even the case back in the heyday under Mac necessarily, they have multiple guys that they can look at, that they can point to and show recruits, hey, this guy got much better by the time he left Texas and he was playing his best football under us in his last year here. So... I just dig the fact that, like, you look at Devondre Sweat. I talked about the trajectory, right? Everybody's seen the pictures of him when he committed to Texas. I think when he committed to Texas, he was, like, 260 pounds. I mean, he might have been in the 250s at that point. Fast forward all the way to the spring of his senior year because he played basketball at Huntsville. He was, like, in the low 280s. He gets to Texas as a, as a freshman, his freshman year. He's, like, in the 300s. Now he's, he's 350, 360 and he hadn't lost any of that athleticism. He's he's kind of the poster child. I think he and Jalen Ford are the two guys you look at. Like, man, look at where those guys were when they came in. Look at where they are now that they're going to go off and go to the NFL. It's amazing what this staff has done. It's amazing, Jordan, how, how guys can become better football players when they get good, consistent coaching. They get a, a good, consistent strength conditioning program. And they get a staff that understands things like, proper treatment, proper nutrition, something I don't know anything about, but all this stuff that like, it's not, it's not Sark reinventing the wheel. It's just Texas is doing things that stuff that was either neglected in the past or was just done wrong. Sark's just doing those little things right. And it's amazing how far your program can get when those things are getting done. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty wild. Whenever, uh, you don't assemble your recruiting board off of uh, 24-7's rankings. <laughs> um, <laughs> some good things can happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess portal talk now. Well, the, and, and this leads us to the portal. So if you go to Horns mm-hmm. 24-7, by the way, man, shout out to you and Hank. Hank South, by the way. If you're a Texas Sports Unfiltered fan, Hank uh, Weekly, he joins Chip and Zay. But, uh you know, Hank is a really big part of what we do at Horns 24-7. Jordan, obviously, you are well as well. 
That stampede this morning, every Monday morning at 8 a.m., the stampede comes out. It's our weekly VIP news notes and nuggets package exclusively on the recruiting trail. That thing's about as loaded this morning as the stampede's been in a long time. So props to you guys. I'm not even going to spoil it, man. Everybody just get over to the site and check out the stampede. But what's also up at Horns 24-7 is our staff roundtable for, I guess, technically last week. Is we we were asked as a staff, hey, what do you feel like is the biggest need for Texas in the portal? And we've talked about safety and receiver. Mine is, and I've, I've talked about this before. The, there's a lot of redeeming qualities about this team, Jordan. I think the one thing that really makes this group special is the fact that they're 12 and one. They're in the playoff. They won a Big 12 title, but they didn't do it with smoke and mirrors. They didn't do it with oh, man, they're winning, but this is not This is kind of a flawed formula. They won it by winning. They won the line of scrimmage battle. It, it, those 12 games they won, they won the line of scrimmage battle in all of them. The only game they didn't win the line of scrimmage battle technically was Oklahoma, and it's not like they just lost that game by lack of brute force, but you know the offensive line, they couldn't help punch the ball in on first and goal at the one, and then Jeff Levy had to go to a non-traditional run game with Dylan Gabriel, to help them move the football. So I'm not saying that was a technicality, but Oklahoma, Jeff Levy had to really go deep into his bag for Oklahoma to win that game. This I haven't seen a Texas team probably since the 05 national championship team that wins games as consistently at the point of attack with good line of scrimmage play the way this team does. And when I talked about portal needs, it would be a shame to lose that advantage. And I know Kyle floods recruited lights out offensive line recruiting. I know Bo Davis has young guys that he really likes in a defensive tackle room, but Jordan, and this kind of go, you know, kicks out to Trey Moore out on the edge, but I'm specifically talking about interior D line and offensive line. If you feel like there's a guy in the portal who can come in and help, especially like, let's say Trill Carter and Alfred Collins don't come back. And I know we feel like Jake Majors is coming back, but let's say, you know, Texas wins a national championship and Jake Majors decides to ride off into the sunset at that point. You know, hey, yeah, I'll just move on to whatever's next. Man, if you feel like there's a center or, or, or a defensive tackle that can really help you in the portal, you can't lose that advantage going to the SEC. You've got to go get portal help. So my answer to the biggest need in the portal, make sure – if you can address a need in the trenches in the portal, do it. Don't leave anything to chance. Extend that out to edge. Now we get into portal talk, Rick. Now Trey Moore coming off the visit, the UTSA edge defender. How big of a threat is Ohio State? I'll let you recap the Texas visit, but he's going to visit Ohio State next. I know there's some other schools trying to get in the mix, but how big of a threat do you think Ohio State is coming off of his visit to Texas? Yeah, um, you know, I still think Texas is a leader, and I still like them to eventually be the pick for them. Um, you know, staying strong, my crystal ball for Texas for more. Um, you know, heard the visit went well. Uh, kind of it. These transfer visits are usually pretty quick. Um, you know, these guys have already been through the recruiting process before, so you know they. A lot of them don't really care for putting on the uniform or taking photo shoots, nothing like that. A lot of them just, you know, want to get to business, sit down with the head coach, shake hands, stuff like that. Um, again, still think Texas is a leader. I think they're trying to just weigh out their options. And, you know, that's what I've been told. I think uh, NIL is also going to be a big part of this one, just like it's a big part of, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much every high-profile portal recruitment nowadays. Um, 
You know, that said, I think Ohio State will be really aggressive with him, NIL-wise. Um, I think it can be up to Texas to potentially match. Uh, I think Texas definitely has the resources to match if that's what it if, if that's what it comes down to. Um, but at the same time, you know, Texas nor any other school in America ever wants to feel like they're overpaying for someone. Um, right. And with, you know, everyone pretty much set to return at the edge position, like, you know, I feel like if, if the number gets too high, I can see Texas as being like, you know, we're straight with what we got. Um you know, obviously you want a guy like Trey Moore, but, you know, I still think he ends up at Texas at the end of the day with all that being said. Um, he's also actually going to take a visit to Oklahoma State, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, but he's going to take a visit to Oklahoma State sometime this week. Uh, I got that from my source this morning. And I asked him, you know, like, timing, when do when does this want to, you know, sort itself out? When are they looking for a a, a day to make a decision? And he said that uh, he was told they're hoping to uh, make it by the end of this week, is in like Sunday night, something like that. Hopefully, uh, but again, you know, basically get back from Columbus and then make the make the decision. Yeah, um, but again, they don't want to rush it. So if they feel like they're not ready by Sunday night or whatnot, then you know they're going to push it back. But I mean, no matter what, they have until January second, so the clock is ticking. Um, so that's uh that's the latest on Trey Moore. I just wrote down in my notes all the stuff so I don't forget anything. Um, well, Jordan, for for you, you you hit on it right there. Uh, I, I think that's good to point out. You know, Texas. I I don't want to say they got burned by the O'Shawn Mathis thing a couple years mm-hmm. ago, but you know, it's a similar deal. Like you like the pre and Trey Moore's got better production than O'Shawn Mathis. Trey Moore I, is I, much. Yeah, he's much better yeah, than Mathis. Yeah, I, I, and I think for I think the big thing that sticks out to me about Trey Moore, you know, uh, I've kind of I've tried to look at the kind of guys PK's recruiting for those edge positions, just kind of looking at what he had by the you know when his Washington defenses were at their best. You know, he kind of had a good mix, and like I look at you know if you could pair Trey Trey Moore with a guy either Baron Sorrell or Ethan Burke, you know, take a guy who's more of a bigger, thicker kind of hold the point type guy. What is Sorrell like in the 260s? You know, Ethan Burke is two, 260 plus. Ethan Burke could be two in the 270s by the time we get mm-hmm. to next year. But pair him on the opposite side, you know, kind of what you would think of in the NFL, that right defensive end going against somebody's left tackle. Oh, kind of more of a true like pass rush specialist, kind of a more of a guy that's maybe in the upper 230s or 240 type guy that's just that's basically not to say he's a one trick pony, but that dude's on the field for for one primary reason, and that's to bend the edge and get to the quarterback. I just feel like Trey Moore kind of I think this is PK looking at that defense and thinking like, okay, you haven't really had the pass rush off the edge that you've wanted. This could be the piece you need transitioning from a year where your dominance up front started at the point of attack with your interior defensive line, knowing regardless of what that looks like, even if Collins and Trill Carter comes back, and if you get a guy out of the portal, you're not going to be as good as you were this year with Sweat and Murphy. But basically, if you're if you take a little bit of a step back on the interior, but you're better on the edge, you know, the the sum of the parts could equal the whole, in other words. I don't know if I mixed that metaphor or not, but that's my Florence High School education coming out. But you get what I'm saying, Jordan? Like, I think this is PK looking at the defense saying, yeah, Trey Moore fits kind of his vision for the whole part of this front defensive front and what he wants it to be. 
Oh yeah. Um, I guess the next is uh, Drew well, Makuba. But my, my question though was, do you, how big of a how big of a, a need is Edge for you? Like if you're, let's say Sark sits you down in the in the office, like you're playing you're playing the Bobby Merrill. Like Bobby Merrill needs to go get a cup of coffee. Jordan, you're the you're our portal guy. What 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 do you feel like our need is at Edge on a scale of one to ten? One being, um, you know, we feel great and yeah, we don't really need the portal, and ten being we need help ASAP. What do you feel like the the need is at Edge? Um, third least need, or third need they lead they need the least of okay. the position groups. Um. I'd say quarterback is the one <laughs> for just positions they need the least. Two, I'll probably go line. Three, probably go edge. Okay. Um, and getting to, to Andrew Makuba, safety is going to be pretty high up there for you. I take it in terms of uh, importance. Yeah. Uh, safety, safety, receiver, interior D line, linebacker, of course, as well. Um, but yeah, so Drew Makuba, he's got uh, five visits set up that he'll be on these next uh, next week or two. Texas, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, Oregon, and USC. Uh, of those five, I really think it's going to come down to Oregon and Texas. Um, Billy Bowman announcing he's coming back to OU. Uh, their two safeties are going to be Billy Bowman and Peyton Bowen. Mm-hmm. While Drew Makuba can play literally anything you'd want him to play, um, you know, his preference is definitely safety. The NFL has told him he'll be drafted higher as a safety. Everyone around him wants him to play safety. He's better at safety, too. Like, he's playing safety wherever he goes. So, um, with Billy Bowman coming back, he's obviously going to be a starter. Peyton Bowen's now in his second year. If you remember how crazy that recruitment was, um, a lot of stuff that happened behind the scenes that I'll probably never be able to talk about. (laughs) But long story short, because of the circumstances, they pretty much have to start Peyton Bowen no matter what. Um, That's just kind of how it is. So, with Billy Bowman coming back, uh, I just don't see it happening there with Makuba. Another thing, um, it's well documented that Drew Makuba and the Trail McCutcheon were not big on Texas coming out of high school. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Jay Valet or Valai, whatever the hell yeah, it Jay is, Valai. yeah, was on staff at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, 2020. Yep. And. Uh, <laughs> I haven't confirmed that Latrell McCutcheon and Drew McCuba, part of them not liking Texas at the time, was Valet. Um, and if, for those who don't know, he's currently the cornerbacks coach at Oklahoma. Um, so Drew did go to Oklahoma. He wouldn't be his direct coach, but he would have to deal with him. I think that's also part of this why I don't think. <laughs> I have to deal with him like he's a... He's that annoying cousin at Thanksgiving. Like, oh, I, I, I guess just keep him, keep him over on the other side of the room, and we'll be good. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Way, I think Javalai's be- title at Oklahoma is a corners coach, but he also coaches Nichols, and he is a co-defensive coordinator. It says co-defensive coordinator, pass defense. I don't know why you can't just say he's the. Pat defensive pass game coordinator, but whatever. <laughs> Brent Venables is tomato, tomato, I guess, with some of these labels. So, anyway, sorry for interrupting, Jordan. But, yeah, JVLI is a pretty big part of what Oklahoma does in the secondary. Yeah, especially because if Drew Makuba was to go to Oklahoma, he'd likely be I probably assume playing nickel. Um, yeah. And, like you said, that's the guy coaching the nickels. Um, USC just – 
Don't. It, it's He's not going to USC. Um, Ole Miss, I think, will probably finish third somewhere in there. Um, I've been to Ole Miss before, toured the campus. I've actually been on a visit with a few other players um, to Ole Miss in the summer of 2022. You know, I knowing what I know about uh, Drew McCuba and his family, I really just don't see him vibing with Ole Miss in the campus. I didn't at all. I don't see how many kids do. Um, but I just, he's within him being there the first 10 minutes, he's either going to decide, he's hold aside if he likes it or if he doesn't. That's kind of just Ole Miss is what Ole Miss is in the middle of Mississippi. Um, and yeah, I think they'll finish third. I think it's going to be Texas or Oregon. Uh, you know, don't feel good enough to put in a crystal ball yet. But, you know, I think Texas really is a school that's set up best for him. And, you know, I think a lot of Texas fans would agree with me. Mm-hmm. You know, he's from Austin. They have uh, his high school coach, Coach Fenner, on staff as a director of high school relations. Another thing that I wrote about, too, that's helping out is uh, Drew is very close with uh, Jade Barron. Jade Barron is obviously, you know, everyone's expecting him to leave um, for the draft. I'd be very, very surprised if he came back. Um but him, him and McCoob are in contact. They've been close friends for a long time, uh, have the same trainer, same seven-on-seven team. And, you know, he's in his ear. And as I've talked about a lot, I really think Jade's a great ambassador for the University of Texas. And, you yeah. know, having him on your side is only a plus in your recruiting efforts for uh, for Makuba. Uh Another thing with, with Drew Makuba, um, while those around him are going to let him make the decision just like, you know, out of high school, it was fully his. Um, I do know that people in the circle would prefer if he did stay at Texas. But again, they're not going to get in the way of him making whatever decision he wants to make. Yeah. Hey, real quick on your Jade Barron point. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's worth mentioning. And Grant, we we talked about kind of the struggles at times Texas has had under previous regimes recruiting in certain areas of Dallas. But mm-hmm. I think one one thing that really helped – open the door for Texas where that door really necessarily wasn't open before. I mean, look early in max tenure. I mean, they get a guy like a Jonathan Scott was a Dallas Carter kid. So they get a couple, but what really opened the door when Texas took Christian Scott, I think Christian Scott was class of 08, 07 or 08. They took Christian Scott out of skyline and later on down the road, the other DISD South Dallas kids that Texas would get, whether it was Mike Davis, uh, Peter Jenkins, even some of the DeSoto kids would talk about, well, Christian Scott went to Texas and had really good things to say about his experience at Texas. So that made them feel like, yeah, Texas is a place I can go and not feel out of place. And then I think as the the guys that were on that staff under Reginald Samples, chief among them, Emmett Jones, as those guys started to get other jobs throughout the Metroplex, when Texas would come by the school, not only was Texas welcomed, but now they're sending guys to Texas and they're having a positive experience at Texas. Now they're not afraid to tell their kids, yeah, you can go to Texas and you know you can have an enjoyable experience going to school at Texas and being in Austin and everything else. So uh, what you're saying about Jade, Jordan, that doesn't need to be uh, scoffed at or, or just cast aside, man. If Jade can get to some of these Austin area kids and be like, you know what, man, staying staying close to home and you know going to play for the Burn Orange, that's that's not a bad deal, and you can have a really good experience doing it and kind of carrying the flag for 
for Austin area kids. I mean, when people think about Austin area kids, we talked about it, right? Everybody thinks about over on the West side, you think about West Lake and Lake Travis and even going up into Cedar park and places like that. But, you know, to have kids from Connolly or LBJ, wherever kind of that, the school's touching that 35 corridor. That's huge, man. That'd be huge for the Austin area. Just, just to, at the very least for Texas to have a couple guys in their corner, not just for it to be like, ah, oh, Texas. Yeah. I'm not, I don't really want to go there. I want to get away from home. You'll have some guys like that, but it's going to be nice to have somebody in your corner. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. Um, I've, I don't think I've ever actually put this on paper, but I know I've talked a lot with buddies and, you know, some guys of 24 seven, but you know, Texas landing John T. Cook was a huge effing deal. Not just because yeah. he, he's good, but man, John T. Cook is a very popular player. You know, he throughout high school, he was, you know, quick to say a lot of different stuff, but, um, and spoke his mind on a lot of things, but you know, him doing that grew his brand astronomically. Um, and that said, a lot of people <laughs> like casual football fans, kids tuning into Texas thinking he was going to play this year just because they liked his personality, like what he could do in high school, you know, mm-hmm. John T. Cook ending up at Texas doesn't guarantee them anyone, but Texas being able to land kids like John T. Cook and Colin Simmons kind of has the same effect as well. Where they have these big following followings and kids look up to them. Texas getting John T. Cook and Colin Simmons changes the way a lot of these kids look at Texas. It just does. And I'll never be able to have evidence or scientific proof or nothing that proves this. But I, I promise you, like it changes the way they look at Texas. It really does. Um how, how for and, example, back in the day, how many Houston area kids you think either gave Texas a second look or decided to go to Texas because of Vince Young. Exactly. It's the same thing. Yeah. A lot. It's the same thing. Um, So, uh, yeah. Oh, next, uh, put in a crystal ball this morning uh, for Xavier Phil to me. Um, You know, I guess if you've been watching, this shouldn't really be a surprise. Uh, I felt like Texas is going to flip them for, I don't know, a week, two weeks now. Um, Sounds like it's been trending that way. It feels like a month at this point. <laughs> yeah, and I, I did report on Horns 24-7, like I'm expecting him to flip, I think, last week. And again, I've said it on here. And I did say, like, the crystal ball situation will be tricky. Um, but now that I don't have to be the one to rip off the Band-Aid and anything, like I'm, I'm putting mine in too. Um, but I feel like if you've been watching, you should know that this isn't new about feeling like a – Phil Smee will end up at Texas. Obviously, be a huge addition. He's the number two safety in America, a five-star. Um, yes, seen him play twice in person this year. You know, obviously great player. And, you know, there's not – as stacked as this Texas roster is, there are only a handful of athletes like like Xavier Phil Smee. Um, I believe he's gone sub-10-5, actually. I know he's gone sub-11 plenty of times, but – Sub ten five, I believe he's done as well. Um, that safety room, it's a it's a really good time to rebuild that room on the fly because not just Jalen Catalan and Larry Turner Gooden and BJ Allen going into the portal, but you're going to go into 2024. We're expecting Jaron Thompson to move on. We're expecting Keaton Crawford to move on. You know, both those guys have COVID redshirt years that they can use, but at this point, we're not expecting either of them to use it. I mean, you're going into you're going into spring ball right now. Your depth chart is, you know, Derek Williams, 
Michael Taft and Jordan, unless I'm leaving somebody out, it's it's Jelani McDonald and and maybe if you moved Roy, Warren Roberson back there to get some safety reps, that's pretty much it. So, man, if you're Phil me, not only, I mean, you can like Texas and like the coaches, yeah, but, man, you, you've got an immediate path. Like, pretty much you're in the two deep the minute you set foot on campus. Yeah. And a, a big part of uh, <laughs> is Blake Gideon gone in the portal. Brian, come on now. Come on. Now, um, Blake, Blake, hey, Blake Gideon's gonna about to get him a, a five-star. Is Gideon the primary for Phil Simi? Is that how we've got it listed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Blake, Blake's Gideon about to is. get him a five-star. Yeah. Um, no, he would play a ton as a freshman. Uh, I don't think start, but he'd play a ton as a freshman. And another thing, too, that, you know, I think he's going to have a very – Derek Williams-esque freshman season if he does come to Texas, which I am expecting him to. Um, one thing a lot of people forget, Derek Williams didn't get to Texas till the summer. He didn't get to yeah. Texas till the summer. Uh, Phil Smee, wherever he ends up, he's moving in in less than a month. Um, so that said, you know, I guess he if he has a good enough spring, fall camp, he could play himself into the starting role. But again, I doubt it. I think He's going to be a guy like Derek Williams who rotates a ton and only gets more and more hours or more and more playing time. Yeah, Jordan, um, you'll, see me looking at my, you'll see me looking at my phone right now. I, I got to find this. Uh, I had it. Is this Derek Williams, uh, Manny Muhammad number for snaps? So, yeah, I just I just wanted you to be aware. If you see me looking down, don't think I'm not paying attention. I'm just trying to find this uh, this data point to show you that, yeah, it doesn't necessarily matter if you start or not, um, but you can't play yeah. quite a bit. I remember if I if I remember correctly that last year Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, even though they were not the defensive tackle starters, it was uh Ojomo and uh Coburn. That uh Murphy and Sweat actually ended up having more snaps than than Coburn and Ojomo last year. Um Someone said Texas only allows 60 hours to transfer for undergrads. Makuba has like 90. If Texas doesn't let all his hours transfer, he isn't coming. Um, I haven't heard about that, but I can check in on that. Um, that would make sense. Credits are definitely like, I feel like, are under-talked about um, in terms of the transfer portal. Did uh, I guess that Trey Moore credit issue that we were talking about, I guess that's not an issue at this point. Yeah, I, I asked about that, um, and he was like, yeah, no, it's a thing, but, you know, <laughs> Texas is still the favorite. I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> I trust oh, you. Okay. Yeah, he's been very good to me in the past, this specific source has, so I trust him. Um, love Blake as a UT player on Lifetime Longhorn. I just see him as the least effective at development of all the staff. Um, you know, I maybe – Maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, can can I say can I say this in Blake Gideon's defense? Mm-hmm. Um he did turn Michael Taff and walk on into a you know power five starting caliber safety. That's gotta there, say something. There may have been there may have been a, a Hall of Fame caliber former head coach who was around the program in twenty twenty two that would pass along every now and then information about defensive players that really caught his eye that he felt like, man, this guy's got a chance to be good. And for the most part, it was Byron Murphy's name came up a lot. Janae Barron's name came up a lot. Uh, The two safeties that went in the portal 
there even even a guy like Jalen Gilbo, you'd hear about every now and then. The names BJ Allen and Larry Turner Gooden never came up. No. So it it's not a knock on on those guys. It's not a knock on Gideon. It's just, man, sometimes you just you take guys and they just get recruited over. The guys you take after them are better. As a matter of fact, like Jordan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. If, if Texas needed to get that far down the depth chart, either Jelani McDonald or a nickel or corner conversion would have gone in at safety before B.J. Allen or Larry Turner Gooden in a pitch. Yeah. No, I, I feel like that would have been the case. So there yeah. you have it. Just, but, throwing, just throwing that out there. Yeah, so said Taff was better than a walk-on. Look, trust me, I agree. So – Michael Taff is the best youth football player I've ever seen in my life. I grew up uh, playing against him because I'm only – wait, is he a junior? Is this his third year at Texas or second? I think he's technically a redshirt sophomore. Okay, yeah, yeah. We're the same age. I believe he actually might have been redshirted, if I'm not mistaken. Redshirted before high school. But uh, we are the same age, and I grew up playing against him, and he was always, like, the best player on the field, like, always. Um so I wasn't surprised at all by his success. I knew he would eventually earn a scholarship. Um, also, like the walk-on stuff, like his family's good on money. They didn't really need the scholarship, but obviously you're going to take it if it's offered to you. Um, and he was very confident in himself and betting on himself, and, you know, it paid off. Um, and he did ball out in that last day championship game uh, when he actually had that. I believe he picked Quinn off two or three times. Or I know twice. one of them was a one-handed. Mm-hmm. But – um. Yeah, no, shout out, shout out Michael Taft, man. Um, so I guess that'll wrap up uh, the Phil Simi stuff. Um, oh, By the way, week. as good as Michael Taft is, Corey Schrader, the running back from Missouri, he, he'd probably have to say he's the best walk-on in, in the country. Dude finished like sixth or seventh in the Heisman voting the other night. So yeah. just saying. He wakes up every morning wishing he could be Michael Taft. Um <laughs> No, we're so gonna, uh, we're gonna turn we're gonna turn Michael Taff into the Chuck Norris of Texas football. You keep that up, shit, man. I don't let any Michael Taff slander. I never let it pass. Okay, you know so that. so for so we've got Jordan's first. Like you know, like for me, you don't slander the movie Varsity Blues. You don't slander Gerard Hurd. You don't slander Will Muschamp in my presence. Jordan's one that we know of. You don't slander Michael Taff in his presence. Yeah. You feel me? Um, next thing, uh, Ryan Williams, who five-star wide receiver in the 2025 class, he was our number five player, uh, committed to Alabama, um, announced today that he would be reclassing to the 2024 class. This has been like the worst-kept secret in the history of secrets. Like yeah. everyone knew this. Um, he did say, because he, he did an interview with uh, Bama 24-7's Brett Greenberg and in the interview, he said he's looking to take five official visits before he signs, which will be in February. Those five potential official visits, because, again, nothing is set yet. It'd be to Alabama. I'm expecting that one to happen no matter what. Um, the four others are Auburn, Georgia, LSU, and Texas. Uh, for those who don't know, he plays at Saraland High School in the Mobile area with uh, K.J. Lacey, who's Texas' 2025 quarterback uh, commitment. They're, they're real close friends, and, you know, they're in each other's ear about joining each other at their own school. Um, to be honest, I don't see any world where Ryan Williams doesn't end up signing with Alabama. But, you know, we've seen crazier things happen in the past, and, you know, he's never 
He's always spoken highly of Texas when asked about them, um, but he's never visited before. So he's at Auburn three times this season, I believe. I believe he's been to LSU a time or two. Um, I know he's he's at Alabama for a lot of the games and factors in attendance whenever Texas beat him by 10 mm-hmm. in September. Um, so, again, you know, that is something we're watching, but I don't, I don't see anything happening. Um, yeah, every Now that he's 2024, 20, Jordan, we can throw him into the group every year. And it's it's there's two guys that fit this these two categories. There's a guy that fits each one of these categories, and Texas never gets either of them. Ryan Williams probably is going to be the guy that you don't think he's going to Texas, but he'll give you enough hope along the way to make you think there's a possibility. Maybe, maybe you can flip him. Like this staff is good enough, and there's a good there's there are enough things working in your favor that you can flip him. But when he ends up staying to that school he's committed to and ends up signing there. You're like, well, I knew probably he probably wouldn't get it anyway. And then there's going to be that guy like, like Justin Williams, uh, who you also mentioned, you and Hank also mentioned in the stampede who you're going to try because you have to, but you know, it ain't going to happen. Like there's not even a, a glimmer of hope that you're going to be able to flip him. It's you're, you're so far behind at this point, but he's so freaking good that you kind of have to and as crazy as it sounds this is the kind of stuff texas fans you got to start wrapping your head around justin williams the talented linebacker out of conor oakridge he goes to georgia justin williams could be one of those pieces in an sec championship game that's standing between you and the playoff standing between you and an sec championship so at this point yeah you got to try to get those guys in the fold if you can even if you think there's no there's no chance that it's a 0.0001% chance that he, you can get him. You got to at least throw the Hail Mary. Yeah. By the way, um, Miles Split finally finished loading. Um, and Xavier Philsemi's 100 meter PR is a 10.52. And he's in the six 100 meter dash times that have been recorded from him uh, in the last two track seasons. He went sub 11 on three of them. Um, also has a 22-38 in the 200, 22-75 in the long jump. Pretty damn good. Um, especially because, like, he's, I believe, six or 6'1". So him being able to move that fast, he also hits the shit out of people. Like, he's he is a five-star prospect in my eyes for sure. Like, Phil, no, Phil if, no if, ands, or buts. Feels to me. I said this when Texas recruited Derek Johnson back in the day. DJ is a, a, a high school class, one high school class ahead of me. The first time I saw Derek Johnson, like his highlights on the on the local news, I was like, man, he looked like one of those linebackers that Florida State and Miami and Florida had back in the day. Like, you know, those guys like a Derek Brooks, guys that could just run for days. Phil Simi looks like the kind of safeties that Georgia and Alabama have been getting. Yeah. Like that's how he plays. Like a you think of a Caleb Downs or a, a you know Lewis Scene. Go through and take your pick of the 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 good safeties that are there now at each either program. The safeties that have been there. Phil Simi's Phil Simi could go in and and play for Nick Saban as a true freshman. Like he's that good. He could go in and play for Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp as a true freshman. He's 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 just that good. Yeah, no, like it, as good as Derek Williams was and excited as I was about it, Derek Williams out of high school, like not really close who's better. And like we all know how good Derek Williams is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm saying this as they were at this point in their, their senior years, I, mm-hmm. I think 
Bill Smith's better. Uh, name, um, name, I just want to bring up Naaman in the in the chat. So Justin Williams is a great player. Watch him as a linebacker in New Caney before he transferred to Oak Ridge. That's a position, you know. I I'm still, you know, I've still I've got my pieces up at Horns twenty four seven. I talked about it on the show. Kind of the things to consider as Texas looks for a new linebackers coach. I'm interested to see who gets that job ultimately and and how they build on, you know, what Jeff Choate really started in terms of the guys that are recruiting to play off-ball linebacker. It's a different breed of cat now with Anthony Hill and Leunga LaFowle and even, you know, Samaje Burrell uh, at that linebacker compared to what Texas had been getting there. The staff is on the right track in terms of getting off-ball linebackers that fit the kind of off-ball linebackers that are succeeding in college. And, man, Jordan, I don't know how much – I know, you know, you're so busy on weekends with high school stuff. I don't know how much college football you get a chance to watch on Saturday – but man, it's not like the SEC offenses that you're defending. It's not like they're, they're three yards in a cloud of dust. It's not these, you know, 2009, you know, less miles archaic offenses. I mean, whether it's, you know, whether it's Kiffin or or Josh Heupel, uh, you know, you've got plenty of guys in that league now. What, what Eli Drinkwitz and, and that staff's doing in Missouri, plenty of offenses in the SEC right now that are space and pace offenses. Uh, that can do a lot of different things and can stretch can can stress you horizontally and make you defend every square inch of the field. Uh, it's a different ball game. I mean, I, I think from that standpoint, Texas and Oklahoma should be prepared schematically to go into that league. Because it's like, oh man, we see you see some of that stuff in the Big Twelve. It, it is it's weird how football evolves. Like the Big Twelve to to combat the uh, the influx of that three safety defense, that three high defense. You've seen more kind of what I'd call hybrid spread offenses where you're playing with bigger personnel at times, more use of the tight ends. Uh, there is a physical element to it. But in the SEC, it's the ultimate line to scrimmage league. Yes, always has been, always will be. But do plenty of space and pace offenses that, man, if you got if you got safeties that can run, that's going to help you defend. Like, I'm just thinking about a Texas secondary where you could potentially have on the field at the same time, Derek Williams, Xavier Filtzme, with Andrew Makuba maybe playing nickel in certain packages next year. And with Manny Muhammad and, and Terrence Brooks at corner, like, yeah, that's a pretty freaking athletic secondary. That's a secondary that you could form a, a pretty damn good sprint relay team with. Oh, yeah. Um, so I saw CB ask where the 2024 class finished ranking-wise. Uh, going into the 24-7 uh, class calculator and just putting in the guys that I think they're going to end up with. Um, sorry. Hey, shout-out Braylon James, man. Just committed to TCU. Nice. Um, Stony Point product. Yeah, and Del Valley product, Juice alum as well. Um, Texas, so they would finish fifth, no, sixth last year. Yeah, tell me what that uh, – just just to make sure we're good here, you tell me what that score is, who you've got in the class, what the score is, and I can tell you where, as of right now, where that would put them. Yeah, it's 288-73. So last year they would have finished sixth with that score. Um, and this year they would overtake. They would overtake Miami. Miami is at five right now with two seventy nine point one three for their their score. Yeah, so it, and that those are just the recruit ones, not the overall that also factors in transfers. Like I'm not gonna even try to play with that one right now. Right, but Trey Moore. I mean, if Texas gets Trey Moore, Trey Moore is the uh, he is. 
the number one ranked ads guy in the portal. So that helps. Act number two now. They uh, put Prince Will or Prince Lee from Florida. Prince Lee U. That oh, I'm not going to try to say it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Drew McCuba is a top 10 guy in the portal. Trey Moore's 12. I believe Juice Wells is top 10. Deion Burks, uh, top 20, I believe. Like, if they get any of these guys, they're going to have a pretty, pretty good portal portal class ranking for sure. Um, one thing I want to talk about while you're on the topic of linebackers, uh, one of the candidates we had talked about to replace that job or potential candidates, Andy Avelos, uh, it actually got announced this morning mm-hmm. um, that he'd be taking the defensive coordinator job at TCU. So that scratches him off the list, obviously. It's a weird deal how that happened. Like Andy Avelos gets hired, got, got fired at Boise State, and Boise State ends up, you know, they end up making the interim their head coach. But Joe Gillespie, Joe Gillespie was a Broyles finalist last year, I think, for the best assistant coach in the country and was running that three high defense. He, he's last year, he was one of the reasons why TCU got into the playoff and now he's fired. But the rest of that staff is staying there. And that was a real, I don't know if that's just, if something happened, there was a riff there. Or Sonny Dykes just looked at it and said, man, Andy Avalos is available. I'm going to go get him. I don't know. That's just a weird – it's a weird deal to me, Jordan. I don't know. Something, something's, something's not quite passing the smell test with that TCU staff change. Yeah, it, it is weird. Um, I think some people are starting to realize that TCU and Dykes last year was just what Aranda and – Baylor was in 2021 with Matt Rule's players and their fifth and sixth years for COVID and everybody starting had been starting for like three years. Um, I think that was a huge part of TCU's success. Also the fact that they hurt like the starting quarterback of everyone they played. <laughs> um, that definitely helped them. Cause I mean, dude, like they won all those games, but half of them, they won by like, it felt like three or less points. Like, I feel like for so many of those games, it was down to the final minute. So um, like TCU's, <laughs> The Baylor game, like the Baylor game is one that like you realize what had to happen for them to win that game. Like they had to execute the fire drill field goal. Like they executed exactly how it needed to be. Like that that thing was perfect. And if it would have been off, if it would have been off kilter one iota, that game does that game ends with Baylor winning and TCU's not in the playoff. Yeah, no, Baylor was expecting to win that game. I remember talking to uh, uh, a Baylor source on the staff that I had um, and uh, he's like yeah we're beating TCU this week and I keep in mind this dude said this for like every week pretty like <laughs> we're beating Texas this week and I was like oh yeah yeah okay coach um, but he said that about TCU and you know I'm like shit I kind of believe him he kind of ran me through what they're playing to do stuff like that and I remember I watched that game from the uh, Globe Life Field press box and I was just like damn this has to hurt <laughs> I, you'd rather get blown out than get walked off like they did. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, other thing I want to talk about, Taj Brooks, man, announced this morning he's coming back for a fifth season, I believe, at uh, Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. I was pretty surprised by that. Obviously, you know, it doesn't affect Texas. They're not playing next year. But he's a man or a local kid. I want to talk about him. Um so, I mean, is he immediately the best running back in the Big 12? I'm stupid. I just forgot about Ollie Gordon. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, there, there's you. <laughs> so I was just yeah. like, who else? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, but no, here, here's the deal, though, Jordan. Here's the deal with that. Um, 
Taj Brooks, considering what Texas did to Ollie Gordon in the Big 12 championship game, Taj Brooks and that tech staff should feel really good about what he did against Texas. Yeah, no, he's a monster, man. He's a monster. I mean, I would, I'd have to really go look at it, but off the top of my head, um, you know, him going 19 for 95 against Texas, he had to be the most productive running back Texas played this year, right? Yeah, I know only two rushers went over 100 yards, and one of them was a Wyoming running back. The other was Dylan Gabriel. Um, <laughs> so Oklahoma's so. quarterback and the Wyoming running back who had who went 66 on like the 66 or 67, whatever it was, on like the third play of the game. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Texas, play, Texas played some good, faced some good backs this year. Um, but, yeah, Taj, Taj Brooks, Taj Brooks and that tech staff should fit. I mean, look. You lose 57-7, there's not a whole lot you want to feel good about coming out of that game, but Taj Brooks should feel like, you know what, that was maybe the best run defense in the country, and I damn near went for 100 yards. Taj Brooks yeah. Taj Brooks put up a fight. No, I don't, and take this however it is, Taj Brooks put up more of a fight than Ollie Gordon did in that Oklahoma State run game. Yeah. Yeah, the, I saw someone said Ollie Gordon's looking to transfer. That'd be news to me because about a week ago I asked uh, a source close to him what was going on there to see if I could. We're talking about any, you said he's any pretty, potential help. You said he's pretty loyal to Mike Gundy, right? Yeah, he's pretty loyal to Mike Gundy, but, I mean, a lot of people have been loyal to Mike Gundy and changed their mind. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that could happen also. Uh Oregon leading for his transfer. Look, regard if a kid like Ollie Gordon transfers, there's money written all over it. I've already heard of an offer that's been given. Um, it's over seven figures. Well, actually, multiple offers from schools that he'd be better equipped at than Oregon, and he he's staying put. Um, but you want to yeah, get? Yeah, I, I wish he didn't. Man, I I was watching the the Big Twelve championship game live with my dad and. Uh, y'all probably not gonna be happy about this, but I'm a big Ollie Gordon fan, man. I just I root for the kids I cover and the kids that come out of Texas, no matter what. Um, and just him yelling at his teammates on the sideline and yelling "fuck Texas" for the game, I was just like, man, Ollie, like, what what are we doing? Like, you got to be better. You got to know you're always on camera. You literally just won the Doak Walker. Like, you got to be better. And also, like, Texas fan base has every right to be talking shit to him. Um, but it's just like it sucks seeing that. Happened yeah. to a kid I'm rooting for, and you know he could have prevented a lot of that as well. Well, I think uh, I think my man Rod Babers hit the nail on the head in our Longhorn Blitz podcast last week. Ollie Gordon's frustration that wasn't frustration out of you know him his teammates not getting the job done. That was frustration out of understanding the inevitable. <laughs> like yeah. We're not running the football today. It ain't happening. And if we can't run the football and we're one dimensional with Alan Bowman as our quarterback and the Texas offense is clicking, I think everybody on that Oklahoma State sideline realized pretty quick. Like I I've never heard Mike Gundy as gobsmacked after a loss as he was after that Texas game, where he was like, Man, they just they were good. They were they were so good. I heard his uh he's like they're even bigger, faster, and stronger than they are on film. <laughs> it's like, bro, like, did you watch the film? Then you need to fire you the not, GA. You don't remember you need to fire the last Yeah. You need to fire the GA that got you those cut ups then because he did Texas a disservice. 
But yeah. he, he, you know, he was, I heard his uh, Texas Bowl. I couldn't think of the name of the bowl game they're in in NRG. I heard some of his Texas A&M. Press conference talking about AM. He said, I heard one of our guys say up front they're just as good as Texas did. And he's like, I, I about told him to shut up and started walking the other way. Like that left the that left the mark on Gundy, man. That Texas game did. But you know, we'll start. We're three weeks out from uh the Sugar Bowl as of today. So we'll start slowly getting into breaking it down. But hey, before Trey and BK jump in, do you want to uh mention Kobe Black real quick? Somebody in the chat had asked about Kobe Black. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was my bad. I meant to actually hit on that. Um, yeah, for our little class calculator calculations, he was one of the players included. Um, he's going to announce Wednesday, I believe. It starts at 4.15 or 4.30, something like that. It's one of the two. Uh, 24-7, I was told, to actually be doing his commitment um, live stream or ceremony. If not, uh, regardless, I'm planning to be there uh, to cover the ceremony for Horns 24-7. Um yeah, Kobe Black, you know, feels like it's been drawn out forever. And I would be very, 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 very shocked if uh, he doesn't commit to Texas on a Wednesday. Um, there you have it. Yep. So, yeah. Just north just north of uh, – man, what's the city La Vega High School's in, Jordan? Why can't I think of it right now? Bellmead. Yes, yeah. They call they call themselves Mead Babies. <laughs> Yeah, going through that Bruce Villetti triangle, going up I thirty five into Waco, and two guys who appreciate Waco jumping in right now, Trey and BK. Mm. If BK, what do y'all the, appreciate about Waco? BK I was there this weekend. The greatness that is Health Camp. Yeah, I appreciate the restaurants I can stop at when I'm driving through Waco to get to DFW. I don't, I don't like to spend too much time in in Waco, Texas. I'm good on that. I appreciate some of the batshit crazy stories that that town produces from the Branch Davidians to the crazy shit with the Baylor basketball program in the early part of this century to the school itself deciding to ban dancing all the way up until like 2008 or some shit. Yeah, that's that city is filled with some wackadoos. You know, oh, Joanna too. I I like oh, that. Wake up! So much stuff has happened, Trey. That the Baylor baseball team skinning cats and throwing them off an overpass—that's gotten pushed pretty far down the list of messed up things in Waco. You're right about that. I was about to go there, and then I said Chip and Joe in a game. Shame on me. <laughs> yeah, forget forget the silos, dude. Let's talk about the Baylor baseball team on a. Uh, a bad weather series against Iowa State. Back when Iowa State played baseball, that's how long ago that was. Mm. I'll tell you what. Apparently enjoying some beverages at Taco Cabana and deciding to pass the time by skinning cats and throwing them off an overpass. Mm. I'll tell you a guy who had some good points. That's David Koresh. That guy was on to something, right? His setup of being able to bang everybody's significant other was a great bit. No one else could. But he could. That guy was on to something there. Smart man. I, I I can't I can't confirm or deny whether this was my original idea, but I had a buddy who once asked me the well, last time game day was in Waco. He's like, Can they pick somebody other than Chip and Joanna to be the guest picker? I'm like, Well, what about hologram David Koresh? Ooh. Yeah, I I mean the ratings for that would have been sky high. I you want ratings, man. Hologram David Koresh making picks. God. Some would suggest that the Rangers and potentially the Longhorns winning championships in the same year 
signifies the end of times. So perhaps we see uh, the uh, rejuvenation of David Koresh before uh, these next couple of months are done. Uh, before I'm uh, cast off into hell for eternity, um, yeah, let me go ahead and jump off. Uh, it's only an hour. Uh, plenty of plenty of transfer portal stuff. Plenty of team stuff over at Horse Twenty Four Seven. Before I get out, though, I do want to mention the CB had mentioned this, and I'll just go ahead and mention it right now. Um, Tavondre Sweat, first team AP All American, Byron Murphy, and Xavier Worthy also on the AP team. That makes Devondre Sweat. He's now a consensus All-American. So first consensus All-American defensive tackle at Texas. Since Malcolm Brown, three-fifths of the way to being a unanimous All-American. So that would put him in that rare air. So well-deserved for the Outland Trophy winner. Devondre so consensus Sweat. is more than 50%. Unanimous is unanimous. All five. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Who so was the last unanimous Texas player? Bijan last year. Okay. That's what I figured. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Deshaun Elliott, uh, Michael Dixon, and Deshaun Elliott were in 2017. Yeah, 2017. Deshaun with consensus. Wow, I've forgotten yeah. that. Trey, Trey's all-time favorite Longhorn, not named Ricky Williams. Michael Dixon. He's in my top five. I have no no problem admitting that. That's embarrassing to some, and Tom Herman would probably refuse to call me by my name for saying as much. But Michael Dixon did things with that football that I have never seen a punter do, and may never see a punter do again. Look, I'm just telling you, as a, as someone who votes for the Ray Guy Award, if there's ever a Longhorn up for that thing again, I'm, they're getting my vote, regardless of what the numbers are. I hey, I, with all this punter talk, I'm telling you right now, A&M has a punter that's going to be in his second year next year. It'll be his first year punting for them. That kid is ridiculous. At the All-American Bowl, Jr. I forgot his name. But at the All-American Bowl, he was so good, the whole 24-7 team just started referring him to punt god. As punt god. Oh, wow. Oh, like, God. he would go out and practice and would be, like, on the goal line, banging them and dropping them 80 yards down the field, and they would just drop and sit on the yeah, – like, I've never – I've never seen a punter in person like that, and I never saw Michael Dixon in person before he say anything. But, uh, yeah, that kid is a freak. Like, he made our <laughs> – he made our, like, top performers of the day, like – Half of like the four days of practice they had because he was so good, we had to put him on there. Um, but yeah, watch out for uh, for punt god. If it was still Jimbo's offense, he would get plenty of practice punting in game. But yeah, you want to guess where he went to high school? White kid from Texas going to AM as a punter, South Oak Cliff, Dallas Carter. <laughs> I thought I like you were gonna school. have it with when you said South because you went to South Lake Carroll. Uh, yeah, yeah, more whites per capita there for sure. <laughs> Trey, BK, Jesus Christ, bro. <laughs> Park otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Highland Park would also be a good one. Yeah, guys, have a good show. We'll uh, we'll be back to uh, to do it tomorrow. Great job as always, gentlemen. Yes, sir. See y'all tomorrow.